Well, good morning. <laughs> Welcome to the Christian Church of Essence Park. We are disciples of Jesus and make generational, transformational disciples of Jesus. I'm Pastor I'm glad that you guys are with us today and, of course, joining us online as well as we continue our series on Transformed, how God does change us. And thus far, as we've been in this series, we've gotten to see how God really begins by transforming us as humans and how what a big difference that makes and finding our identity in Him uh, changes everything. Then we talked about how he begins to transform even our culture by giving us families and how he's designed those families to be. Last week we talked about uh, the very center of the family, which is the husband and the wife, and some of those roles you're going to see uh, making a difference as we had their last uh, week's message, which is next week, about how the church operates, how God designed those two institutions to kind of mirror each other because they are to reflect him. But today we talk about how the family unit operates and how God transforms our communities really through the family uh, and, and particularly how parents and children operate. So uh, as we get into that, as kind of a preview there, just a reminder of our memory verse, reminding that God is the one who does the transformation, kind of that theological basis. And so four, mo- four weeks into this, hopefully this is starting to sound familiar. But if not, don't worry, just say it along with us. It'll start to stick. Here we go. Ready? Three, two, one. Therefore, with them, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. This is uh, some pretty basic teachings on family and how it's to operate. We gained some really important things about that. The first thing that we're going to discover today is that a healthy family is built on a solid marriage, right? That's that verse 18 and 19. Before we get into anything, it's amazing how uh, when Scripture discusses family and how it operates, it usually begins, almost every time it operates, it begins with the marriage, husband and wife, how you're supposed to work together. That's a foundation, and if that's not healthy, it's hard to have anything else beyond there. So the primary purpose of marriage, remember, is to reflect God's image in nature, right? It's not to stay married. It's not to be a social institution or of a power structure or anything like that. It is to reflect God and who he is, right? God made us in the Garden of Eden, male and female, right? That's how he made us. He unites us. We have that amazing, holy relationship that gets reflecting him, um, who he is, and that's the purpose of it. And this is why it's so important that we begin with the home having a culture of love and respect. That's where it begins. Not, I'm going to make people serve me, but as we remembered from Ephesians 5, that we submit to one another out of our reverence for the Lord. Out of love and respect. Love, choosing another's good above our own. Respect, giving honor that is due to somebody, right? We we have to have that culture. Nothing else that we talk about in the Christian home is going to make sense if we don't start there. And so we want to start with a healthy base. Now, some of you might be like, well, I'm not married, or there's a lot of people in our culture that are single and have children or homes like that. What about you? Well, you can begin by fulfilling your role in this to be either a really good dad or a really good mom, but by setting the tone of love and respect as the foundation of your home. Right? You get the opportunity to do that. Right? So a healthy home starts right here and that, that core beginning. We can't look to our kids to be able to set the culture of our family. And this makes a difference as we talk next week about how a church is supposed to operate, by the way. So how God designs us to be the children of God. We want to make sure that as far as a family goes, that, uh, that we have a a core to it, the, the, the theme of the culture of your home as you walk into it, 
It is a loving place. When people come and they visit or they come to your house, whether you're married or you're single or you're widowed or whatever, if they come to your home, do they feel loved? Do they feel respected? If not, here's some thing really fantastic for you that God transforms every one of us, right? He transforms you, and the Holy Spirit who has union with you can begin to change you. Just like our memory verse said, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. Regardless of how you grew up, even if you didn't grow up in a great home, even if that hasn't been your history in the past, you haven't been part of that, you now, in Christ, can have a fresh start. There is a new way to live, a way of love and respect that reflects the goodness of God in his character and his nature. Now, I want to say that because sometimes in the church we have made an idol out of marriage. Right? We've said, like, the worst sin you could possibly ever do is get divorced. I want to tell you, that's, that's a crazy fallacy. We want to reflect God with our whole lives. That's what we want to do. That's the purpose of marriage. And we can do that. We can also do that even if in the past we've messed up. Right? The purpose is to reflect God and his goodness, to show love and respect and honor and goodness and mercy and grace. Are you reflecting Jesus in your home? That's what matters. And so we don't want to just have marriages that stay together in unhealth. If you're married, we want you to have a great marriage that has the right kind of culture. And if you're not married, if something's broken in the past, we want you to have that reflection of redemption that shows the heart of Christ in the home in which you live. That's where we begin. So what about difficult marriages that don't have this kind of home? Well, I want you to know this. Every marriage has ups and downs. There's no perfect marriage because there's no perfect people. Have you ever met a perfect church? Have you ever gone to a church that's perfect? No, because humans are at church, and they should be, and we're messed up, right? It's the same thing for marriage. When Amy and I first got married, we have really great marriage. That's like the one thing in my life I think I've really done well, right? That's like, yes, I've got that. But even we had, we had like these arguments and, and disagreements and things like this. I was certainly not the most perfect husband. She's pretty close to the most perfect wife, but there were still times, right? Marriage is ups and downs. Even the best of people hurt one another because we're sinful. And that's why in marriage we get to have love, grace, respect, and honor. It's an opportunity for us to show that to one another, but some marriages have abuse. And this is not what I'm talking about. When you have a partner, one person in there who just wants to destroy the other person, that's not a reflection of God and his goodness. We must never use the word of God in order to lock people into destructive situations that reflect him very, very poorly. What we want to do is say, in those horrible situations, if we can bring redemption, we certainly want to do that. But I don't want to use the word of God as a, as a battering, as a bat, to be able to beat people to a bloody pulp when they're already being destroyed by a person who's supposed to be their partner. If you are in an abusive relationship, whether here or if you're online, this is what I want you to say, get help. Right, get help. You can come talk to me. There's other counselors, other, but this is not okay to be locked into something that's horrible. I don't want you to, to twist what I'm saying here to say this is an excuse for bad things, right? If, if you ha- are in a marriage that's struggling with addiction or, or with other things like that, self-destructive behavior, get help for your partner, right? Get help, right? The last thing we want to do in the church is to be able to cover up things so we can have the appearance of good things, 
What we want to say is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come. We want to see that new creation come alive, which sometimes we have to pull back the covers and show the ugly things first, right? So, if you're in a, an abusive, sick relationship, there's help in the church for you. Call us. Come in, talk. We will begin to help you. And we will walk you through a, pra- a path of redemption. And sometimes that goes through places that make us Christians uncomfortable. But here in the church is a place of grace. But everything I'm going to talk about now, we're going to talk about for those that aren't living in that kind of situation. Right? If your home isn't abusive, if it's just not perfect, well then welcome to humanity. <laughs> right? So First uh, Peter, uh, that we talk about, um, how do we begin with last week? If you're in a good home, we want to honor one another, right? First Peter uh, goes on to there saying, hey, husbands, treat your wives well. Wives, treat your husbands well, right? Don't dress up and, and just have like the appearance of beauty, but generate beauty from the inside. Husbands, genuinely care for your wives. Don't just pretend to care for your wives, but providing them stuff, but actually meet their needs by, by listening to them and, and being kind to them, right? We want to honor each other in our role. And that's where it begins. And so, for the Christian, if you're going into an imperfect, um, imperfect relationship like all of us, what you can bring to it is you can become more Christ-like. The more Christ-like you become, the better your relationship will become, right? Because more of Jesus is being reflected there. You can only change you, so stop trying to change your partner. You change yourself. Bring Christ in your relationship. Fulfill your role in such a way that reflects him better. And that's going to be a great way to start, right? So one of the things I think oftentimes we try to do is change the other person because clearly they're the problem. But I've read the gospel a great number of times, and Jesus walked into situations where there was great problems, and the thing that solved it was the fact that Jesus walked in. You don't need to change the other person even if they are the problem. You can change you, and and you can allow God to allow that new creation to come alive in you. And then as Christ walks into that situation, he can change other things too, right? Let God do the changing, but you pursue him, right? So we want to make sure that we start with that. Single parents, it's the same thing. Uh, I know that over half of America's youth right now are raised in in single-parent homes. It's going to be very difficult for single parents in our culture. Um, Obviously, that wasn't God's design for things to work that way, but it doesn't mean that you're outside of God's heart or mind or will. Right? That God has provided for the single parents. You know, it's the first time, not the first time in history, there's been people that have been raised in single parent homes. That's happened since the beginning. And you know what God has provided is a church family. In a church family, you have all kinds of people to support you. And I think one of the things that we have to recognize for single parents is they have an extra hard burden. And the church is here to support. And we must support. And now in our culture today, there is a pandemic of single parents. And it's not that they're bad. It's that they, are ha- they have a, a twice the load that they're supposed to carry with half the energy. The church is supposed to be here to support them. And so for the single parents, obviously, you want to practice that purity, right? You want to set a good example for your children. You want to reflect that love and honor to God, right? You want to bring Christ in your home, set that culture, right? You want to honor your ex as best you can, right? You don't want to be, uh, you want to be uh, honest without hostility, Right? That's kind of sometimes a difficult thing to do, but you don't go it alone. Uh, for single parents, if you're there, be encouraged. You have a church family that's here to, be, uh, to, to help. And oftentimes we don't even know how to help, uh, so it's a conversation. And just like in a marriage relationship where you have to kind of learn each other what's best, 
Sometimes with single parents in the church, the church family, it's a learning relationship, right? We learn how do we fill in and help. But if you're feeling, I could use some support, I just don't know what it is, at least come and tell us, I'm feeling overwhelmed. And we can begin the process of learning to help you. It's probably going to be unique in your home. It's not like a cookie cutter because humans aren't like that. Each family is different and each stage of life is different. But I want you to know that here in the church, this is where we find that support and help. All right. As we find that support, we are recognized that then as parents then raise their kids, whether it's in a traditional marriage, the way that God had set things up and the design was, or if it's one that reflects the brokenness of this world, know this, that parents do have a responsibility. Regardless of what the situation you're in, you have responsibility, and that is for your children, right? In verse 21 that we're there, it says, fathers, don't embitter your children or they will become discouraged. You have responsibility. It doesn't say kids, you know, make sure that you, you know, Direct your parents on the right way to live in these new times and societies. Parents are the ones that are supposed to help and direct and, and encourage their children. Parents have responsibility for their own children. And we're not supposed to, to shove that off to other people, right? And in here, we're, it tells us not to exasperate, right? We're not supposed to frustrate our kids. The way that we lead them is not supposed to lead them away from God, right? We're not supposed to destroy them and how we parent. We're supposed to, to make sure what we do is not to make them serve us, but how we parent serves them according to their needs so that they're lifted up and have what they need in order to grow and become successful people, right? We don't want to be bad parents. In fact, bad parenting results in what it says here is discouragement. And how many of us, I mean, in the history of of our culture and in our world, a lot of people have come out of bad homes. Like they've had parents that have discouraged them. It was difficult. And oftentimes they're afraid to even have children themselves. That's discouragement. I want you to be encouraged that God does a work of redemption. Now, I was fortunate. I have great parents, right? That was, that was awesome. Perfect? No. Great? Yes. So I've had that. That made, me, you know, made things a little easier for me, and I'm grateful for that. But even if you had a difficult home, know that God can restore you, that he is your heavenly father, and he can continue to parent you and restore what was broken. But don't use your past as an excuse not to take responsibility for today. And I think oftentimes we'd say in the world that you aren't an expert, right? And so you're not the expert. You shouldn't be the one that's parenting your children. That's not true. If God gave you children, he's going to help you parent them well. So don't try to have other people uh, discipline and teach and love your children. No one can do it better than you, right? That's what we want to do. So as we we grow our children in this, uh, we want to set a good example, right? How do we set an example? What if you didn't have great parents to begin with? Well, guess what? You have the best parent ever. You have the heavenly father, right? And as we go and we grow in scripture, you get to learn who God is. And I think it's wonderful that God revealed himself to us as father, which tells us something. That's in that role, that parent-child role. We can look to God and see how did he parent. And one of the ways that you can see how God parented is, is how God took care of his people Israel, right? He was the heavenly father for Israel. How did God parent them? Well, he has both because God is both masculine and feminine, even though he's revealed as heavenly father. But look at the way that God has done all these things. As far as uh, like the father role provides, protects, and directs, did God do that for the people of Israel? Does he do that for us today? 
I mean, what are those amazing promises that if we seek his kingdom, his righteousness, and all else, that he'll provide all of our needs, right? He's going to take care of us, right? He's going to protect us, that we pray to, you know, Jesus told us to pray to God that he would defend us from the evil one, right? To erect us, to show us the paths. If we ask him for wisdom, God provides leadership in our lives. But look at the other side, the feminine side of God which is also wonderful, like how we have moms and being relational and nurturing and, and civilizing or sanctifying that we see. Does God do that for us? Absolutely. We don't just go before a heavenly throne, which is fear and trembling, which sometimes we need to, but that's not all we do. That we have a God who listens to us, who dwells within us, who hears us, who actually counts our tears and stores them up, and, and knows all the details of our life, and wants to know about them, and, and works in our life gently, and with, with great kindness and compassion, slowly transforming us, building us up in a new way. In fact, I think it's amazing that God, he, he makes a home in us, so we can abide in him. You see, we, we see that God has a style of parenting and it has to do with the parenting structure. I'm going to show right here, and I don't know if online or it's in front of me or whatever. But here we are. There's this thing. You can have homes that have high structure and high love or low structure, low love, right? If you can think about those two things. When I was growing up, I always thought structure and love were the opposites of each other. Like if you had structure, it was like military, and you had love. It was like, you know, the hippies around the campfire singing kumbaya, right? <laughs> right? No structure meant lots of love. That's not what it means, right? Structure is, uh, you know, we have kind of some... Uh, some rules and uh, some roles and responsibilities or expectations, that's structure, and you can go from low to high on that. But love is a different type of thing. And here I'm talking about is affection, right? You can have, like, uh, we're going to see here of affection and kindness and grace, and you can have none of that in your home, or you can have all kinds of that in your home. Now, here's a great thing, is that you can have, uh, you can have lots of structure and lots of love or no structure, no love. So if we have no structure and no love, right, the homes that basically uh, the kids are there to just kind of raise themselves and the parents don't really care about them. There's not a lot of grace. There's not a lot of affection. There's not a lot of relationship. We call that passive parenting. That's also, uh, I know that there's other ways to phrase these things, right? I'm using these words, but there's low structure, low love. I mean, it's passive, right? It is just absentee. It is, the mo- it is dangerous and harmful. You end up with feral children who don't know they're loved who don't know how to operate in the world oftentimes because they have to raise themselves. It's hard. Children weren't designed to raise themselves, right? And so typically by this, uh, children that ends up with uh, low structure love often have uh, trust issues, issues with authority that later on can plague them in life and, and uh, issues emotionally. How do I trust that people can actually love me? It, it's a, very damaging. If you came out of a low structure, low love home, here's a great thing. You have a a different kind of God, a heavenly father who's going to parent you a better way. But here's one of the things, at least as parents, we should say, maybe we shouldn't have low structure, low love homes. But you know what? The, this is not the most damaging parenting style. The most damaging parenting style is the authoritarian, which, which is a high structure, low love. Lots of rules, not a lot of affection, not a lot of grace. In fact, we find that the children that go through raised in homes like this are the ones that oftentimes rebel the worst. Right? They're like, we have, want nothing to do with any type of structure. Structure is bad because all they've known is it's kind of like the sting of a whip. They don't feel important as people. It's a bad thing, right? Um, low love leads to fear and, power, uh, fear and powerlessness. It's not a healthy way to raise children, right? And oftentimes, unfortunately, well-meaning parents in the church have employed this style 
thinking, well, I'm going to have to spare the rod, spoil the child. Yeah, well, there's a lot of other verses in the Bible, too, that talk about loving your child as well, right? So we need to have discipline, but there has to be the right kind of discipline. And so we want to stay away from the authoritarian style, and that's uh, absolutely the worst. Well, then if we go on the other side, let's say we go to uh, low structure, high love. That's permissive parenting, right? That's not like, there's not a lot of rules in the home, but everybody's good, right? Like, yeah, you got a, an F on your report card, but you're still the smartest little person ever, right? You're good. You live like that, and you're going to have adult children living in your home with you. <laughs> Permissive parenting is not a great way. It's all about self-esteem, but self-esteem sometimes is not warranted. Sometimes we should have an honest appraisal of ourselves and be like, I'm kind of screwing it up here. I'm not good. Maybe I need to grow and be better. A low structure oftentimes creates this chaotic way of living and life and, and a misunderstanding of, of entitlement. Like, I just deserve to have these things given to me without earning things, which leads to all kinds of destructive behaviors, not just in work and in life, but also in relationships. It can be very damaging. God is none of those three. Is the Heavenly Father is not authoritarian. Praise God He's not authoritarian, right? Isn't that amazing? He's not permissive. There's nothing in Scripture. Oftentimes we find grace abuse. People are like, yeah, grace exists. It does, but so do God's standards. And God is not passive. He's not from a distance God who's out there just saying, hey, do whatever you want. I'm so glad about that. God is high structure, high love. That's authoritative parenting. That's how he works. That's biblical parenting. If we're going to model ourselves after Jesus, after God, how he parents us, that's the model. Look at the Old Testament. Are there rules? Books of rules. We've got rules that have a second book. Deuteronomy, which means a second book of rules. He gave them to him once. He's like, no, seriously, guys, here are the rules. He's high structure. This is the way I want you to be. New Testament has structure too. That's what we're reading about today. This is how we're supposed to operate, right? There's a moral standard. There's standards of how we're supposed to live, how we're supposed to treat each other, right? Scripture has lots of, of structure, there's roles and responsibilities and expectations in Scripture. Aren't you glad for that? That God didn't just say, hey, be feral, just do whatever you want. He says, this is how I'm going to structure, orderly God, good things, I want to raise you up. But there's a lot of grace. Because God loves his children and no child is perfect the first time out. We all mess up. We all make mistakes. And our Heavenly Father isn't there to just scold us. He's there to pick us up and say, all right, bud. Now let's learn from this, and here's how we want to do it better. And you get that grace and forgiveness and encouragement. There is never a time in a Christian's life we have to run from God because we've messed up, ever. In fact, when we mess up, it's the time that we're supposed to go back to him and be like, I messed it up, right? And God picks us up, and he elevates us again, and he gives us a fresh start and a new way. God wants to see you succeed. You are his child, and he loves you. There's a lot of affection, a lot of relationship, high love, high structure. Parents, this is how we're supposed to parent our children. This is what it says here, that, that we're, fathers, don't embitter your children or they become discouraged. Don't embitter them how? Well, don't just have a lot of rules and don't love them. Or don't just have a, a lot of love and never train them. Or don't just like leave them and abandon them. And, and No, give them a future, show them how to live a better way and give them a lot of grace in the process as they grow. It's not hard, it's not 
You know, it's, what are they called? Brain surgery? I think that's hilarious when people say that, right? It's not brain surgery. It's, it's not rocket science. It's just loving the little humans that look like you, giving them the grace that you hope that you would have, and teaching them the things you wish you would have known, right? Show them the way of the Lord that they should go. That's what we do. Now, parents, as we do this, obviously it takes a lot of energy and a lot of effort, and you set the example. But this doesn't mean that you're the only one in the relationship. There are children, and children, the Bible talks to you as well. And it says children, they are uh, to be responsible to their parents. That's what the Word of God says. There's a structure to this thing. That's why it's an institution, right? That family is an institution that God designed, and there's an authority structure in there, not a power structure, but authority, and children are responsible to their parents, right? The Ten Commandments even shows that, right? What is one of the commandments? It's the fifth command. Right? Here it is. I'll just put it up there. Honor your father and mother so they may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. First command, only command. Really, that's a promise. How cool is that? But your thing is to honor your father and mother. Now, as adult children, honor means to respect. Right? To, to give them the, the, the respect, do them because of just their position. Right? They raised you even if they didn't do a great job. They gave you life. Aren't you glad at least they gave you some chromosomes? Yes. So honor them. Right? You're not going to be out there talking horrible about them and thwarting them and doing anything. Honor them, right? Treat them with respect. But for children who are living in the home, honor means to obey, right? Because they have authority in the home, right, to help you to live a good life. So you honor them with your actions. That's what that means, right? So what about uh, children who have parents that are going to tell them to do something sinful or something bad? Well, you have a heavenly father, you have to honor him first. Just like a wife can never submit to her husband if her husband's telling her to sin, right? You have to honor God first. Children can't obey their parents if their parents are telling them to sin, right? So in those examples, of course, you obey God first. But in every other example, and I would say this is probably 99% of the time, your parents aren't there telling you, hey, little Jimmy, go and mug that guy. I mean, that's not happening. Most of the time, they're going to tell you to do something that you just don't want to do. Like, hey, Jimmy, eat your green beans, Eat your green beans. That's what, your, that's what the Bible wants you to do. Listen to them and obey them. That's what it's telling you to do. Make your bed. Why? Because your parent told you and they think it's important, so you are learning from them. Even if you don't share the understanding as to why, you honor them with your actions. That's what the Word of God says to do. Philippians chapter 2 goes on to say this. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault and a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them and the stars in the sky. I think that's pretty good. The attitude of a child, don't argue with your parents. Don't wear them out. They have to love you. That's hard work. They're trying to teach you how to live life and they don't even know everything, right? Give them a break, man. You, you might know some things better. Someday you might be the parent and you get to teach a better way. But in this moment, if they're not telling you to sin, don't argue. Just, just all right. This seems stupid, but I'll do the dishes tonight, right? I'll vacuum my floor. I'll study for this test, right? Just honor them without arguing. But here's the thing. It results in something amazing in you. For our Christian young people, do you understand that we live in a crooked and warped generation? You do. And as parents and as, as those that are adults around you, pastor, we pray for you. You have an opportunity to shine like stars. But if you don't have that attitude, if you're not growing in the character and the likeness of Christ, what are you going to shine? 
your ability to shine bright in scriptures as is directly related to how you honor your parents because how you honor your parents reflects how we as Christians are to honor God. It's a high and a holy position. So don't take it lightly. And God will be there with you and he will reward it. Now, there's some application that I want you to take from today. We talked about parents and kids. I know this is not stuff you're going to get in most other places in the world, which is great because the word of God has it for us. And at least a healthy homes that reflect him well. Next, we're going to talk about what that looks like in the family of the church. But we need to practice in our own homes first. So what are some things we can do? Well, I would say the first thing is invest in a healthy marriage. If you are able to do that, if you are married, invest in your marriage. Just because you got married doesn't mean that you've just arrived, right? It takes work to make it good because you're not an awesome person. You're a broken sinner, and your spouse is an awesome person. They're a broken sinner, too, and you're being restored. So invest in making it better. Make it right. If you're single and you're going to be married someday, prepare yourself, right? Remember this, if you're going to be equally yoked, the better you can become, the better your equal is going to be. So invest in, in God and godliness and goodness and purity and, and truth, right? Allow yourself to be sanctified. Prepare for that. Right? If you're single and you're like, I never want to be married again, that's fine too, right? And pursue improvement. Allow God to work in you in your life. You have a home. All of us have a home. Become more like Christ so you're bringing God into your home. And have that relationship between you and God, you and Christ, really tight so you can reflect Him well. Parents, this is what you can do. Raise your children responsibly. Take responsibility for your children. Don't let culture or the schools or other people tell you how you're supposed to raise your children. The Word of God has shown you, and it's not hard. You take responsibility. Give them a lot of love. Give them the right kind of structure. Do the best you can. Practice humility, right? Lay down your life for them. Demonstrate to them. Treat them the way you want the Heavenly Father to treat you. And as you do that, know if you need some help, you have other people in the church who have raised children before, and some of them have did a good job. So talk to them. And some of them did a really bad job, and they'll be able to tell you, this is what not to do. Talk to them. That's part of the great part of being in church. But take responsibility for your children. Raise them well, right? If uh, you are a grandparent, you have an opportunity as well to influence, right? To talk to your children, encourage them. You remember the days back when you didn't know anything that you were doing? Encourage your children in the midst of this time. And be consistent. It's a big thing. And I would say this, then, if you have children, honor your parents. That's just fitting the Lord, right? Just, if you're an adult child, honor your parents for the fact that they gave you life. If they gave you a good home like my parents did, honor them for that, right? By how you live your life and how you treat them. If they didn't give you a great home, honor them with forgiveness and mercy and grace, right? To, to be just kind to them instead of mean, honor your parents. And if you're a child, obey your parents, honor them with your actions, right? Hopefully in that, there's somewhere that you can find yourself because all of you are humans and all of us have parents and all of us have other humans around us. So in here, something for all of us, then just to help put the punctuation or maybe some, a finer point of how to apply these, on your connection card, I did put a couple of next steps for you that takes those points and puts them into action. So if you have your connection card, I encourage you to take that out and look on the back. If you're online, magically, they will, those lines are right here-ish, right? Here's some things that you can do. This week, if you haven't done it yet, memorize 2 Corinthians 5.17. Why? If God is not making a new creation in you, then none of this matters. But if you are in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, a new creation has come. And I want you to see the truth of this. You're not defined by your past. 
You're not defined by everything that happened before. God is making a new creation in you. The old is gone, the new is here. This is the new way of Christ that we want to live. If you are uh, wanting to do something else, a challenge is to read Colossians. I just read you the third, a section of the third chapter of it, a very small section of it. Why don't you read the book of Colossians? It's not long. It was a letter intended to be read in one setting. That's why Paul wrote it through the Holy Spirit. It's going to give you a great context of how the Christian community is to operate, especially in terms of family. It's a good uh, little book to read. and won't take you very long, but really applicable, especially in the days that we live now. Something else you might want to do is pray for your family. Whether you have children at home or you have children that are gone, if you are a child, pray for your parents because they need it. If, if you're grandparents, pray for your kids. If you're not t- talking to God on their behalf, who is? So maybe this week, this is your commitment. You say, I'm going to talk to God on behalf of my family. Right? Put it on your phone as a little reminder and just talk to God on behalf of your family. It's a great habit to begin. Why not begin that habit now? The last thing you do is, as a church, I talked about this before. Maybe it's, uh, it's helping a single parent whether that's somebody who's widowed or maybe somebody divorced or somebody who's just has you know, lots of kids or somebody who is a single parent who maybe is like gran- a grandparent who's raising a child. We have some of that too. If you know somebody, it doesn't even have to be somebody in the church, if you know somebody who's a single parent, here's some things that you could do. Talk to them. Be nice to them. Maybe provide something good for them. I mean, they've got a lot of extra things on their shoulders. And if you don't know what to do for them, maybe you ask them, what would be helpful? And then do that. But that could be something that you apply this week as a way of the church coming together as community. Those are the next steps for you. Hopefully you've all had something to make, and I encourage you to, to keep those commitments this week, not as a way of, of earning your stripes in the kingdom, but a way of demonstrating God's love in your life to the world around you. All right, so with that, um, you have your, on your connection card, if you have a prayer request, write that down. We'll be praying for you this week, and at the end of the service, please take those connection cards with your... Uh, with your commitments on there, with your prayer requests and your tithes and offerings, and drop them off in the offering basket in the back. And uh, let me just pray for all of us together as we make these commitments to God. Heavenly Father, you are a God of love, you are a God of goodness, and you are the greatest parent ever. Thank you that you are you. We are blessed and honored to be your children. Lord, we accept your direction, and as we are so grateful for the... the uh, model that you set for us. For those that are in this church that are raising children right now in their home, I pray that you encourage them greatly. Show them how to raise their children with a lot of love and good structure that represents you well. We pray, Father, that the faith would be passed from generation to generation, as we say, to be generational, transformational disciples. Father, we pray for those who are, uh, don't have children in their home, but are either children themselves or have uh, grandchildren or just uh, people in their lives that are younger. Lord, I pray that you would raise us all up to support the families in this community and help us to fill our role in a way that brings glory to you. We've made commitments today. Lord, please help us keep those uh, in a way that does draw us closer to you. Father, that we may shine like stars in this generation for your glory. We pray all this in the beautiful name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.